Blog Talk Radio. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Reesey! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And hello once again, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and folks, I've been off a few weeks here, and I'm not dogging it, and I'm not being lazy, and I'm not a slacker. I just haven't had enough meat on the bone to talk about it. I've been trying to spend time with my family and doing all those things in the summer, and my highlight of every day is getting to hit tennis balls with my daughter, and this morning I had three hours, and I had three little young kids out there, and I had a ball. And that's sort of the buzz I get at the middle of the summer and stuff. I'm not doing camps anymore. Gee whiz. I mean, it's just those things. I had 16,000 kids come through my camps over the year, and I'm not doing those anymore. I just, uh, but I get a buzz out of being on a tennis court. And I hope you do too, and I'm hoping you're helping youngsters, especially as you get older. you got to do that. we got to pass on the history and the heritage of the game and the respect for the game. And, and uh, one of the best people out there and person I really respect in coaching is Kyle Bailey. Kyle was on a program February 9th earlier this year, uh, and uh, you can go back and listen to his program there, and I'm not going to blow too much sunshine his way, and I'll get him on here. I think, Kyle, how you doing this morning? Coach, doing great. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm glad you're on, and thanks for taking the hour. And, and things are heating up here, I mean, as far as students coming back and stuff. You got students coming back there this week or when? Uh, yeah, starting uh, over this weekend, actually. Yeah, Yeah. so it, it goes from zero to 110 miles an hour in a hurry. Yeah. And, Kyle, I'm starting my 45th year of collegiate coaching. But wow. you, okay, I've never, I looked at here, okay. Uh, now, I'm not folks. Now, listen, he has never been fired yet. Okay, forty-two year. Okay, he's forty-two years old, and in the last twenty years, he's had eight positions. But now that doesn't mean he's jumping around. It's like you know, he's not. Who was that coach in basketball? Used to jump around all the time, and you know, you've seen it. Coaches will coach two years here and get something going, and they jump. I always respected those guys, Kyle, 
you know, the Bear Bryants, the Dean Smiths, and, you know, those ones that always hung in there and, and coached mm-hmm. a long time. But uh, the experience you got, I mean, play, okay, co- collegiate player, American University, you were coached by Martin Blackman there. Then you mm-hmm. went over to University of Maryland in the same town or pretty close, and you were an assistant coach. That's where I first met you. Then you yep. were the head coach at American University. Tell me if I get anything wrong, by the way. I don't mind you jumping in. And then no. after that, you came over to College Park where I, uh, you know, uh, re-met you and and uh, spent day after day, three and a half years for me with you. Uh, and we did yep. a lot of good work up there. I'm very proud of that, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'll say this. I'm going to just – this is the smoke I'm going to send your way. Folks, okay, I see when people are good at stuff, you acknowledge them, and you never make your own light shine brighter by trying to put somebody else's out, that's for sure. But when people are good in tennis, you got to let them know. We're the worst as far as, I think, uh, boosting up other people. But Kyle's a fantastic coach. But the best thing he did, I always have told him, is the humility with which he approached things that, just, you know, parents are quirky to say the least, but Kyle, you, uh, I was very impressed. People always watch at a deeper level after they've done this a while, but you sort of watched, uh, you, you brought some kids from zero to 90 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And then of course, mm-hmm. uh, it's flavor of the month changes and you lost yep. a couple key kids who were top in the country. And right. I, I yeah. just, I take my hat off to you for the way you handled. They always handled that, you know. So, then you went to center yeah. court up in Maryland, and then New you Jersey. coached at. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, New Jersey, and then you coached at uh, Mont. Uh, dang it, Monmouth. Montclair. That's right, Monmouth. Yep. I'm and sorry, I give a, Monmouth. I, I, dang it, and I got to give a, a quick shout out to um, to Jim Poling, who was the coach at Army at the time, and. I had seen Jim and mentioned to him that I was looking to get back into college tennis. And um, I actually was unemployed at the time. I had quit my job up in New Jersey, and I was back living with my wife in uh, her her parents' house in St. Louis, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And Jim Poling gave me a call and said, hey, there's this job up at Monmouth. You know, it's a good situation. You might want to take a look at it. And um, so, yeah, that was that was my reentry back into college tennis. Okay, I get to get polling one. You know, he was a Clemson man. He graduated Clemson in 1969. I know. And a, sh- and I a know. shout out to Jim Polling out there who is, I think he's out in Colorado or somewhere out west. Just he's okay. retired, Jim. Jim, man, you see mm-hmm. up there, getting up there and retired. We still need your knowledge, man. You're you're a wise yep. man. Sometimes when we ever talk politics, Kyle is a wise guy. He's a wise guy, you know. A <laughs> little bit smart, Alec, but he is. We'll have to get him on his program. <laughs> hey, that's the one I need to get on the program and talk to. But anyhow, yeah, with Jim, does. Jim, yeah. he, you know, and I don't want to go into this too much, but he coached at at Tulsa, at South Alabama, down at Rollins. Uh, and, and I'm forgetting some, but then he was finished his career probably tw- last 20 years or so up at yeah. Uh, yeah. West Point. Okay. But uh, my gosh, mm-hmm. there's there's a warrior, and folks, you respect people who who do that. 
So yep. Monmouth, you won the conference up there with the team they had, but very yep. quickly, yep. a very, yep. very wise man, not a wise guy, but a wise man at University of South Carolina, Josh Goffey yep. snatched you up. And yep. you had yep. three years under Josh Goffey <laughs> where you had NCAA champion. And very quickly, mm-hmm. tell parents out there, uh, mm-hmm. Paul Jubb won the NCAA, right. but could you just give a real quick synopsis of, of yeah. what happened to him from the time he was a freshman yeah. to yeah. winning the NCAA? Yeah. Go ahead. Sure. So, you know, and I think it's important for people to, to know, I don't know if many people know this, but, you know, Paul was, was not a, you know, what you would call like one of the top recruits, you know, in, in, the, in the college tennis world when he was coming in. I mean, he was a good player. He had won a lot. Uh, you know, in England at, at a certain level. But, um, you know, he he was probably, you know, something like, I don't know, eight or ten in in England in his class. That would be like you know, a was, top ten person <laughs> in the south or something, like a re- yeah, good regional yeah, exactly. player, right? Right, right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, but wasn't, you know, a guy that, that you know, we – we actually had him listed probably as our, you know, fourth or fifth choice out of the guys that we were trying to go after. And, um, you know, we, we kind of struck out on them and then we said, okay, I guess we'll, you know, we'll go bring in this Paul Jubb guy. So, um, so anyway, funny. I mean, it's hilarious, but it just shows you what he was able to kind of overcome and the guys he was able to lap. Um, and he, you know, it's nothing, there was no secret sauce to it. He just outworked everybody. And uh, honestly, I, I mean, he was a great athlete, but uh, from the moment he stepped in, he just was really good uh, coach at just putting days on top of days and getting a little bit better every day. And um, he had a dream of playing professionally. He really believed he could do it. And he saw, you know, the, the way to do it was to just improve a little bit every day and keep stacking those days up, and it was going to equal him, you know, doing something great. And so, um, you know, he was just will. You know, when he'd have a bad day, or you know, where some other guys they're they're willing to walk off the court, and you know, have that bad day here or there, or or maybe two bad days in a row. Paul never did that, and he always was willing to t- you know just go that little bit deeper to finish the practice on a good note, or you know, tough a certain drill or a certain thing out here and there to make sure that he, he sort of kept the standard for himself. And, um, you know, you do that for four years, you know, uh, you can, you can get pretty good, but, um, he, he really, that, that honestly was his best talent. You know, frankly, was just his desire to want to be good and, and how far he was willing to go. So, um, yeah, I mean, I wish I could say, you know, obviously there were some things that he improved on, but, yeah, he just wanted it more than everybody else. There was a yeah, there was a yeah. innate need. You know, it was almost like it wasn't like you know. Some people say, "Oh, it'd be nice if I'm good at tennis." It was like a need for him, almost like you know, breathing or you know, eating. It, it was that strong with him. So, yeah, and um, I wanted yeah. to jump in there and say this before you tell him. You know, I want you to tell people real quickly at the end of my statement here um, that he went from number six. He was like a guy that you put in and out at number six as a freshman, and he ended up being the best player in the United States, collegiate. But here's my point. There's a saying I've always used that you keep fog on top of the mountain until the kids are too high up to turn back. Uh Now, what that means Uh is very often here (laughs) in the United States, Kyle, I think we what we do is we show kids too much. 
you know, they yeah. want to be a basketball player, we take them to the NBA game. You know, we mm-hmm. want to, they want to mm-hmm. be a surfer, we take them to Hawaii and show them the right. things. They go, oh, boy. You know, yeah. and the yeah, point is, right. when I was in Thailand, there was a similar type of situation. The kids there were sort of isolated. So if they got, mm-hmm. what happened is they got good within their region, and then yeah. one person went out, I think Shishapan went out and was doing great, and he would come back. And I forget Tammy, what was her last name, but she was real good. She was out traveling around. They would come back, and then the kids would be sort of like, hey, uh, I think maybe I can do that. You know, and we now, uh, I want to talk about this a little later, about how we might be stunting the kids' growth by over giving them too much and too soon. In Mm -hmm. other words, when Paul Mm -hmm. came in, he... Yeah. You know, you showed him the path, but he started at the yeah. bottom, and then right. he got a little better, inch by inch, yeah. it's a cinch, yard by yard, too darn hard. Could you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, and, you know, a, a little bit of it was, was just because Paul was so young, and he, he wasn't a very big kid, so we, we sort of felt like he needed – and he came in in January, so we were really – sort of hesitant to kind of just throw him in there right off the bat. And we were a little bit worried, you know, he might struggle and confidence, whatnot. But um, but I'll tell you, it's funny, you know, because Josh and I use that as an example. I'll, Josh Coffey is the head coach at South Carolina now. and But we, we've used that formula now, and I continue to use it in my program where, you know, you make sure that the guy's, sort of have to work their way all the way through the lineup, all the way through the program before, you know, kind of moving them up. And I feel like that's such an important step that, you know, you can't, you don't want to skip those steps and get the guy up too quick because then he can, he can fly back down, you know, but if he's really got a hold of all those things, I mean, you know, Paul won a lot in, in those first years at the bottom of the lineup and really became very good there and slowly worked his way up. Um, so, I mean, I'm a huge believer in that, and I, and I totally agree. Yeah. Chuck. I think even in yeah, in I mean, we tennis, show kids, you know, it's, it's yeah, a big go deal. ahead, go ahead, right. sorry, yeah, it, it, no, we, no, we do the, we do no. so many wrong things, and parents. Okay, here's the deal too. Uh, I, I, I don't want to get off sidetracked here because we're going to talk about this a lot, um, and that my, I'm learning in baseball. My son's in baseball, and he's going to be a junior in high school. And I, when he was 11 or 12, a coach said, well, you're doing the travel ball. I said, well, not yet. He said, well, you will be. And he goes, I really, does it get expensive? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, well, it couldn't be anything more expensive than tennis. Tennis, I see how they milk the kids out of money. The commodity, the kids are the commodity, these academies. And they just they just right. uh, turn the people upside down and shake the money out. And they get the kids. And I'm not saying academies are all bad, but. I used to, Kyle, when I used to recruit some of these academy kids, I could see how they were perfect at going 55 to 63 miles an hour. They never put the right. pedal to the metal. And and the point is, inch by inch, it's a cinch, yard by yard, it's too darn hard. Folks, even though we have so many ways, this UTR, keeping track and everything like that, you need to rethink what you feed your kids, you know, little by little, you know, inch by inch, it's a cinch, yard by 
by yard, too darn hard, keep fog on top of the mountain until they're too high up to turn back. So he ended up being an NCAA yep. champion for you at the University of South Carolina, their first. Yep. It really it was a beautiful, wonderful thing to watch from afar, especially knowing mm-hmm. you, but then Josh Goffey being one of my former players years ago. Mm-hmm. Now you're at the University mm-hmm. of Charlotte. Charlotte University used to mm-hmm. be called UNC Charlotte. Yep. Some people still do. And Kyle, man, you had <laughs> out of the blocks, man. It looks like you're doing it. You're already a top 40 team. And I don't want to, you know, uh, the other day I, I found out you were ranked higher than UCLA this last year. And as California people, you're listening <laughs> to this. It's not a slam. This guy's doing a good job. So could you just talk briefly about I don't like that many rankings, first of all, because you'll yeah. find out that kind of a ranking gets yeah. coaches fired. A lot of times, you know, but at Charlotte, <laughs> yeah. they're pumped, man. They're pumped about tennis. Go ahead, just talk yeah, quick, quickly I, I, about that. If you, you know, what's going on there? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, we, um, you know, we had a we had a had a good year. Um, we we still got a pretty young team. We're still, you know, got feel like we we are kind of on on the right path, but still have a lot of work left to do. Um, you know, the goal when I came in was to try to win a championship in the Conference USA. We got. <laughs> Very close last year, but came up a little bit short. But, um, you know, we, we did have some really good wins. And I think the thing I'm most proud about with our guys, and, and again, I, I, I think it comes back to when I, when I first took the job, you know, one of our goals that we kind of created within our team, and it, it was partially the guys, um, I asked them what they, you know, what they thought some of our goals should be. And they said, look, we want to be the best mid-major team in our region. And, um, so, you know, just like what we had talked about, Coach, we, we didn't, you know, obviously, yes, the goal was to be, you know, a nationally ranked program, but we really didn't talk a whole lot about that. But what we did say is, you know, we're going to get good at being able to beat the teams that are at our level or, you know, maybe even a little uh, below historically. So that was a focus, and um, that was something that I think we did a really good job this past year. You know, we really didn't take any bad losses. Um, and, and he beat uh, Clemson. You know, and I got to put that in yeah. there. You weren't going to yeah. be. Hey, you yeah. were not going to brag and rub it in my face that you beat Clemson <laughs> in the tiebreaker in the last match in the last court. And uh, mm-hmm. you know. And by the yeah. way, you, after the win, I'm, we're not going to let this out of the bag. It's, it's your thing and my thing. But I switched my my talks with the guys after I heard the talk that you gave that kid, and. Um, I sort of figured out a few things. <laughs> I'm stealing some of your ideas anyway. But um, Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what coaching yeah, is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 oh, it's tremendous. I, I, I love it. Now, listen, we need to pump up other people. What I noticed, the other thing, at least they do on the surface, you know, football teams, you'll see these teams. I was watching teams. I was watching the old Clemson uh I watched the Citadel games, the Clemson games. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And uh, – you know, and I watched the coaches and after they have to take a loss. And I think Dabo Sweeney there at Clemson is about the best I've ever seen at acknowledging when other people are good as well. And I don't know yeah. if we do that enough at tennis. You know, he boosts up. You never right. make yeah. your own light shine brighter yeah. by trying to put others out. Yeah. In tennis, yeah. we no. uh, parents, it's, it's always easy to say something. You know, he who yeah. throws – Dirt loses ground, right? Or something like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly you know? it. Yeah. You know, yeah, so. I, I was at uh I was at I was at 
you know, I'm doing these camps this summer and, you know, these, these young kids are running around and, you know, we were talking about pro sports and whatnot and, you know, these, these kids are throwing around, oh, this guy, you know, he, he stinks, he, he's terrible, he's this and that. I said, hold on a second. I said, these guys are, are some of the best in the world at what they do. I said, come on now. I said, you can't call them terrible. I said, you know, we would all be so lucky if we could say we were, you know, one of the top 50 in the world at what we do. I said, that's pretty darn hard, you know, and these kids looked at me for a second and they were like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe. So, well, but, yeah. I think kids um, don't know what. I think people follow their feelings. <laughs> And I, you know me, yeah. Kyle, I'm sort of an emotional person. I've always used my heart before my head many times. But um, the point is, to all of you listening out there, it's really, really hard. The right behavior with tennis has to be learned. If you go to your motions, yeah. it, you, 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 uh, it's really tough. I, somebody, yeah. I've had about five people call me in the last three, four weeks you know, asking me about, you know, meltdowns on the court and things like that. And mm-hmm. I always tell them behavior has to be learned. Only about 10% of the people get it right without going through a whole process of learning, you know, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. basically you know, mm-hmm. all I say there. But yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we all, you know, bad behavior is natural. Folks, look, I, I don't want to – I'm always got these things going through my head, Kyle, but – I do know that almost all people will do the wrong thing until they learn how to do the right thing, whether it's learning how to hit a ball or react to a loss yeah. or a win, yeah. no no gloating, yeah, really you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and things like that. That's so, really Well, here, where I, the reason I've been rushing you along a little bit, which I have, mm-hmm. okay, I, I want you to talk here because, mm-hmm. look, this portal thing, and this mm-hmm. uh, junior training and scholarships and tennis being yeah. so expensive yeah. and all those mm-hmm. things. Like, okay, in baseball, the the old Clemson coach told me, since my son plays baseball, he said, Chuck, he said, you know, there are 3,200 kids in the baseball portal alone, 3,200. Mm-hmm. It's so hard when you're a senior in high school yeah. right now and because the coaches are going to this portal thing, and it looks yeah, like the yeah. quick fix thing. So, yeah, could, yeah. Could, could you could you address that mm-hmm. for a little bit, and then we're yeah. going to go in a different direction and talk about some coaching styles yeah. and things. But it's it's yeah. never been harder, Kyle. It's never been harder. No, 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 it hasn't. And um, you know, it's uh, I I had a couple of kids last year that I I brought on from the portal and they were both really good kids and so I was pretty fortunate. One of them was Thomas Brown, who you know very well, oh, and then another gosh, kid yeah, was yeah. Um, Mikhail Stokolovsky, who was uh, from Russia and you know so he was dealing with uh, stuff within his family and all kinds of you know he had a really tough year, but man, what a good kid and. And so, you know, I do think there are some circumstances where if a kid needs to get into a good program and, and provide a little spark, um, they can come in and do that. But I, I will say, you know, um, I kind of did a, a, a little bit of a 360 and, and went back to the sort of the old school ways of, of you know, this year I, I decided to go out and recruit um, two freshmen uh, this coming year. And um, a lot of it was just because I – uh, you know, I'm sort of trying to do a, a long-term build at Charlotte. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I want to really get a program that, um, and, and I feel like one of my strong suits is, is bringing the kids up and developing them. So I feel like I'm trying to sort of play into the strengths of our, our team and, 
really getting a, a group of guys that have been together for a while. So, you know, but, you know, I, I think that the the challenge with the, the portal is that, you know, especially for a place like me at Charlotte, is that um, it's just kind of opened it up so that there's so many options. And I think a lot of guys feel like, you know, you, you make one little wrong move here or there and, and you know, they, they sort of take off. But I, I've kind of approached it differently. I, you know, I just kind of do things the way that, that I know how to do them. And if they don't like it, you know, so be it. Or if they decide to go somewhere else, I mean, I, I just, you know, we can't control that, unfortunately. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's sort of a unique, unique world. Um, but that, that's kind of where I'm at in, in the process, um, you know, with, with, the, with the portal. And I'm just thankful, honestly, I, you know, tennis has, it has changed college tennis, but I'm just thankful that, it, that it's not at the place where, you know, basketball and baseball, um, because, you know, at the end of the day, what you end up doing is you spend more time trying to replace your teams every year than you do actually, you know, working with them. So, um, right, and the relationship. Hopefully you don't get to that point. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the long the long term relationship yeah. only happens through yeah. emotional yeah. experiences. You know, right. you cliches, right. facts, right. opinion, feelings, needs. Yeah. Five yeah. levels of relationship. Yeah. The feelings yeah. and needs part, you end up going there when yeah. you spend four years with kids and you help them get in school. Right. You help them go through yeah. their academic you know, their ups yeah. and their downs and everything and the kick ups, oh, man, downs yeah. and kick arounds. Then you become yep. emotionally involved. Otherwise, you know, it, it's, right. it's a tough thing. Um, so yeah. we've got I mean, parents out. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, you and I were both uh, there this, this weekend, uh, you know, honoring uh, former Charlotte coach Jim Boykin. Um, you know, you got to ask yourself, if, you know, 10, you know, 20 years from now, are, are you going to see, you know, former players of coaches uh, coming from Australia or, you know, Chicago or Florida, you know, traveling halfway around the world just just to come and, and honor their, their former coach at a Hall of Fame banquet, <laughs> you know. I mean, I thought that that just blew my mind. I said, man, you know, like look at how much these guys appreciated this and how close they were with him. And so, I mean, that, that just sort of hits it on the head, I think. Could I jump in there? I um... – well, that was a tough one for me because I was going to try to go there, then drive all the way to Kalamazoo, which was about 14 hours. Mm-hmm. Then I was going to go yep. up there that night and drive back. But, folks, um, Kyle and I met last weekend on Saturday, the great Jim Boykin, who had two national championship teams at Anderson College in the junior college days. And then, of course, he coached at UNC mm-hmm. Charlotte at that point. But there's probably few more respected guys. Now, you, prob- you, you all probably don't know the name Jim Boykin. But let me tell you this. I, I often tell young coaches, would you rather be famous or respected? And maybe yeah. when you're young, people go fame, fame, fame. But as you get older each year, respect is something that takes – look, you have to earn people's respect. Jim Boykin is most one of the most respected people in the South. He was completely giving. But he had players come back. One guy flew in from Australia to spend one yeah. evening with him. Folks, come on. Then one player, one of his former players who was a top player in the United States, flew in from Chicago with his wife and his dad and his his uh, yeah. uh, stepmom. And I was there, and I, I was tearing up a little bit, to tell you the truth, because, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. I always tell people that that and five bucks will buy you Starbucks. Nobody cares. Everybody, you know, everybody's a hero on fake book, you know, because – 
you folks you used to have to have a platform to you have used to have to have accomplished something through time or merit to have any platform to to give say you know even be on one of these podcasts or to give a talk or for people to listen to you but now with social media you know i mean it's like drinking water out of a fire hose but that that was that was extremely touching to see that and i rode yeah. back yeah. giving myself chest butts to my you know my fist i go i'm in the greatest profession i could ever be in Kyle and we we were very fortunate. When I saw that, it's like goodbye, Mr. Chips or Mr. Holland's Opus, you know. So Jim Boykin, hats off to you, man. You know, I'm yep. just it was tremendous. So yep. you don't get that with the portal. This NIL thing, we're not going to be affected by it. But any quick statements on the NIL and what's what's going to happen to college athletics? I know people out there are wondering with the sport of tennis, but you know it's. It, it looks to me like it's going to be a little crazy. What What are your thoughts on that? The NIL. Um, NIL. I, you know, I'll be honest. I, I, I yeah, NIL. I, it just is uh, kind of hard to really see where it's going to go. To be honest, I think that. Um, yeah, I mean, I've even talked to my athletic director and you know, my sports supervisor, who obviously know a lot more about this stuff than I do, and I think they're even kind of scratching their head trying to figure out where this thing is headed, just because there's so little restrictions on, you know, the amount of money that's going to start coming in. Um, and, it, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see how these things are managed. I mean, you got 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids making more than, uh, you know, guys that are that are first-round draft picks in the NFL. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a crazy kind of world. It's, but, um, you know, we don't, we don't get into a ton of that in the college tennis, thankfully. But, um, no. yeah, it'll be well, interesting I mean, to see how it, how it sort of plays out, you know. I mean, people don't realize John McEnroe made the semifinals of Wimbledon. This is how important college used to be. And, folks, I'm not going to say back when, but he made the semifinals of Wimbledon, I think 1976 or 77, maybe. 77, maybe. And he made the semifinals, and he won his freshman year to Stanford. And he won the NCAA. He lost four matches that year. I think he lost to Larry Godfrey, lost to... Eddie Edwards, maybe, Fister. He lost four matches, I know. I know he lost four matches, and then he wins the NCAAs. <clears throat> and, you know, so that might have been an NIL thing. But here's the point. The NIL, uh, people ask me, what do I think about it? And as much as I know about it, I see, you know, price and value. So the price of a scholarship, folks. If your son gets a daughter gets a scholarship to college, they're making over a hundred dollars an hour because they're allowed four hundred eighty hours of practice per year. Right, Kyle? Twenty four weeks, mm-hmm. twenty hours a week. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And they're making if they're making fifty or sixty thousand dollars. Do the math to divide twenty four hundred eighty into fifty thousand. You got you a hundred dollar an hour job or better. Now, mm-hmm. price. Is that much value is priceless. The college scholarship is priceless. I'm hoping those people that get the NIL, they don't get college scholarships. Maybe it would open it up for some of the other people. You know, instead, NIL people shouldn't get college scholarships. But anyhow, the NIL thing, how much is the value of if you get one of those things? Well, it's whatever people bargain for. But the, the value, the price is whatever they bargain for. The value is zip. 
nothing ruining a lot of lives is what is what I tell people because they'll never again understand the value of of, yeah. of value of a dollar, you know, value of the hard work. So it's just my thoughts on the thing. So we're gonna go here real quick, Kyle. Ask you know, baseball's bothered me a lot because I mm-hmm. see hundreds and hundreds of kids playing. My son wants mm-hmm. to go and play end up playing college ball and I'm sort of sizing it up and he's going to all these camps and it's it's as bad or worse than tennis and the kids are the commodity. Um, and the tennis, where are we with the training and what would you tell parents with uh, their kids if they want their kids to come up uh, in, a, yeah. in, a, in, 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 in this country? What would you do? Yeah. What would I do? Um, I would, I would, you know, give them a, a base, you know, technically, and, and, you know, kind of getting all that stuff done out of the way pretty early. And then I would spend a lot more time um, working on teaching how to compete and how to play the game. Um, I think that's one area, uh, especially in this country, that I continue to see every time I go to a tournament and then I go over to Europe or, you know, wherever else it might be, um, you know, the kids emotionally and competitively and strategically uh, and some of the other – now, I think our kids hit the ball better than a lot of those kids. They're technically more sound. Um, but, uh, you know, because... I think a lot of them are a little bit, well, probably the, the ball feeding, uh, that we do here. And also, um, you know, I think a lot of people, um, yeah, I, honestly, I think it's a lot of that, a lot of the country club style coaching with just feeding tons of balls. And I think that, you know, the kids that I typically recruit overseas are, are ones that are pretty good. I mean, they're, they're probably in the national teams or, you know, they're some of the more select kids, and I think that they uh, they just, you know, I just think it's how they, they teach differently over there. I think, you know, they don't necessarily feed, you know, baskets and baskets of balls. They're, they're working with a live ball more, and I think those kids play more. You know, I think they've got more competitive opportunities. And so, I mean, I see that. Um, I think that's one thing. And then uh, I, I, I think that... I, again, like just getting the kids also to start learning how to manage their tennis by themselves as early as you possibly can, getting them to take some sort of ownership. Um, you know, somebody asked me, you know, Chuck, uh, a lot when, when we were at College Park, like what's the common thread between Francis, Dennis, Mitchell, et cetera. And, you know, the only thing I could come up with because – you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that some of those guys had the same amount of talent, but I would say that they all uh, took ownership over their tennis, um, you know, and they, they kind of, they, they were the ones that were the driving force. Uh, and I think that that's a big one, you know, also um, that I would really encourage parents to, you know, start, start getting your kid to start learning how to look at tournaments and sign up for things and, you know, organizing his own practice schedule. Um, you know, that's a, kind of a thing here, you know, and again, this is sort of a more of an American thing than it is somewhere else, the, the kind of the helicopter parents, you know, sort of do micromanaging their kids. Uh, it's just, you know, I mean, I, I feel like the kids, this needs to be seen as something where they just come out, they play, and they kind of get to figure things out. Um, because once once you get to college, that is the way it works. You know, mom and dad aren't really there anymore, and yes, you have coaches, but uh, the guys that I see do really well are the ones that can kind of get, get through um, a lot of different situations uh, on and off the tennis court. So that would be, uh, that would be some of the, the things. 
great great wisdom and and folks i Kyle don't let me drop the ball here. I want to make sure you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the college uh the college stuff because you did you mentored all those kids as well. Mm-hmm. I forgot to throw that in here, but I did have this statement to make. There was a coach named Jerry Noyce, and you know it's funny during your coaching career, Jerry Noyce was uh the coach at Minnesota back when I first started, probably first ten years, and he had a really good player and he had this guy from Sweden I forget but the guy was really good and he hit the ball okay but he just won a lot and he didn't miss mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I asked Jerry I said well, well what has this guy done different than than what we're doing here he said he, he said the kid and Jeff Jerry listened to this he, he won't remember it's crazy I've remembered this 35 or 40 years later but he said instead of hitting a thousand balls one time we have taught we he said we learned how to hit one ball a thousand times <laughs> and i i uh it's it's really yeah. really true our kids don't uh do that and the other thing that you talked about about the kids learning inside out instead of outside in there's a book out there called the talent code <clears throat> i think it's mm-hmm. daniel coyle c o y l e and uh folks yeah. i've mentioned this before on the program <clears throat> but it's the best book out there for it, learning. What, they talk about inside-out learning and about the ownership and the reps that Kyle has talked about. And one of the things they said was that very often the way we do this in the United States is we bring kids the solutions and the answers very much like waiters in a restaurant <laughs> bring the food to somebody. And therefore the kids are picky and choosy and they don't – they. Now, giving them ownership, is it hard? You bet it is. I really struggle with my son, you know, because I see so many things where he's getting ready to goof up and my wife yells at me, Kyle, and she goes, let him own it. Let him own it. I go, he's done. He got, I can't believe he's not a, a, she said, let him own it. And then you got to let him own their mistakes too. And it's tough. And you say, it's tough. I, I I think that the one thing the parents <clears throat> remember time for the youngsters goes much slower than it did does for us. It flies for us for them. A summer is an eternity. Yeah. They go through so many things, so many growths. So, any yeah. thoughts yeah. there, Kyle? No, I I, I think it's um, <clears throat> you know again like I, I'm about to get into this with my kids, and you've gone through it with yours, and. Um, I, I think every kid is a little bit different, but for the parents, you know, that are, that are trying to sort of go through this whole process, um, just to be patient with it. You know, I mean, the the amount of kids that I, uh, you know, have seen that, that, you know, just come on at the end of, of their career. I mean, the guy that just won the NCAAs is a great example. I mean, Ben Shelton, when he was younger, was not one of the top players in the United States. Um, his dad, you know, uh, Brian, who, who's done a phenomenal job, was a great player in his own right. Uh, you know, again, I think he gave him a great base. He obviously was around the game. He got to see some things. But, you know, I don't know that Ben was, was you know, winning or making the final rounds up until, you know. I mean, I remember watching him two or three years ago at the, at the Orange Bowl, and he was having trouble winning matches there, you know, even in some of the qualifying and things like that. So, Anyway, um, it, it just be patient with it. You know, this is a long, long journey. And I think a lot of times, you know, people, you know, try to kind of 
to take the fast road and get a ton of reps and move their kids very quickly. But like you said, Chuck, it, 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 those, those things will always come back, I think. Um, so, yeah, just to be patient with it. Yeah, I, um, I have this sign up on my wall. I'm going to put a couple things you've said today up too, but I've got you know what my locker room and the tennis center looks like, and right. uh, I've got right. a, I've got I've got these things, but I have the different levels. You know, people when they learn at first, people are compliant. You know, they're compliant. You've yeah. got their body. You can force a dog to be compliant, though, folks. And then then you have to get their head where there's a commitment. <laughs> then they have to be inspired where you got their heart. And, and now that's, after that, very quickly, what happens if you give the kids ownership is the most important part, and that's their RAS, a reticular activating system, where the kids get locked in, and they want to do it. And when they want to do it, the Talent Code's whole first chapter made this big point. It said that learning or the myelin tissue only grows or whatever develops the way it's supposed to for repetitive learning when the kids are seeking the answer. And the only way for them to seek the answer is to, of course, to uh, have ownership. And that's why goal setting is important for the kids more than it is for a coach or for a parent. And outside in, parent, you know, there's some famous – athletes that we know that where parents have put kids through the rigors and then you go, Oh, what happened there? Well, he quit, you know, or the, the kids partying a lot. Yeah. Now you didn't want to do it, you know, and it's really, yeah. really hard. It's, it's, yeah. it's really, yeah. really hard. So Kyle, we're flying, man. We I, only I, got... Go ahead. No, 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 it's good. I, I, I think one of the things that, that I've, you know, and I was thinking a lot about this this weekend that goes with that coach is, um, you know, getting the kids to understand uh, the difference in the relationship whenever they come into college because it's, it's very different than what I've seen with most of the kids, the, the relationships that they have with their coaches, you know, for the most part when they're, um, you know, when they're, when they're juniors. And, um, you know, you're, for the first time for most of these kids, they have somebody that is, is going to tell them, you know, maybe some things that are going to be a little tough for them to handle. But we're doing it out of care and of love and, you know, we're trying to keep them accountable because, you know, we're part of a team and, and we're, we're striving to be great. And I think that, 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 that them understanding that, that it is a relationship that you are building with a coach and with your teammates and getting the kids to learn how to be effective in communicating and building relationships with people is something that I think is obviously not going to just carry weight on the tennis court or, or in a college program, but later on in life. And I, I, you know, I saw all of these guys that, that this past weekend, and I thought about this. I said, man, all of these guys that I was talking to were such great communicators, and they had phenomenal relationships with each other and with their coach. And I thought to myself, man, that, that's success. You know, I said, look at all these guys. They were so, all of them were very successful in what they were doing. And but somewhere along the way, you know, whether it's Jim or somebody taught these guys how to you know, develop really good relationships. And I think once you get that, you know, Paul Jubb had a phenomenal relationship with Josh at South Carolina, you know, and I think that behind every great player or great coach or great team are these relationships. And that's really what you, what you get, you know, when it's all said and done and you're looking back at it, 
is you have these relationships with the players. And I, I, I think that the sooner these kids and the parents understand that that's what they need to start preparing their, their child for, you know, all of this ownership and, and these things we're talking about, uh, to me, that they, they all kind of fit into place. So. Uh, that's uh, great parenting and psychology 101. And I, I, I want to mention this that recently I, I talked to a guy, Kyle, and this you'll love this. But he said the the people who finish well in life, you know, when they get older. Of course, you know, and I know that as you get older, things are you're inspired by people, not by stuff, for sure. But he said mm-hmm. anybody mm-hmm. finishes well, they usually do so because they put the message ahead of the messenger. Now, when we're younger, we all want validation. We, we play for, and we'll see kids out there trying to validate themselves to the parents, or, hey, I'm good enough. Hey, I could really, this is what I don't like about the UTR. Hey, I, I, can, I, just, I can beat that 11.0 guy. You know, and, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know, I, hey, wait a minute, I, I, I'm there, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. And they never figure out who they are because they're chasing validation with somebody. But that's really, it takes mature leaders. And to you coaches out there, again, we're into that stuff with the social media and all that stuff, and it's so addictive. And all I can say is run from it, run from it. You know, I mean, put the message ahead of the messenger. And I, I believe, and I'm, I'm just telling you, you will be lifted up by those people around you. And, it's, and you know, like Jim Boykin is lifted up by those people around him. Yeah. The people yeah. that – Paul Scarpa. Paul Scarpa. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. I, I, you know, he's lifted every person ever played for him. And I, I just, yeah. the respect that he has, a lot of you saying, well, who the heck is Paul Scarpa? There is, there's no more brilliant person that I've ever met and as a coach than Paul Scarpa. You know, and I, I, I and, but those kind of people were servants first of other people. And it's not that you mean you're not a serve, you're not, you're into service. You're not a servant, but you're into service and in they pour out themselves every day, and they get joy from it, and that's why they finish well. So, but yeah, um, yeah. we're we're yeah. moving here, man. We we have got a little bit of time here. I want to put it on okay. you. First of all, I'm going to ask you, okay. what have yeah. we not talked about that you want to talk about? Anything? Um, let's see. Well, um, you know, to be honest with you, Coach, I, I think we've pretty much, you know, the one thing I was talking that I've been thinking a lot about is this. You know, just uh, as I mentioned before, relationships and building trust, you know, within teams and coaches. And, um, you know, that's such a big thing on our team. And, and honestly, I probably spend more time talking about that than I do forehands and backhands. Um, but I, I'll let you kind of, uh, if you have anything you want me okay. to Okay, I, I do. Of course, of course yeah. I do. Of course uh-huh. I do. There's so many things that bother. There, I'm very, very bothered. I talked to my friend, uh, who's a great one of my uh, our former TAC officers here at the Citadel, but he's so smart and he's just able to put things. I always say I see the forest, but he sees the moss on every tree. He's he just got mm-hmm. great perception. But I said, you know, the different types of leadership. Coercive leadership is when people are forced into doing something. <laughs> Persuasive leadership means the leader has to persuade you to do it, and that's not as good. Leadership by example is the very, very best. And, you know, I was talking about compliance. You can force a person to be compliant or a dog. With great people, there's almost always defiance before there is compliance. 
if your kid is a little bit, I say there's, it's easier to tame a roaring tiger than to inspire a timid pussycat. If there's a little bit of rebellion in that kid, nurture that, but change the direction. But my point is, is this, Kyle, with leadership, the USTA is not on my favorite to watch list. I cannot stand what they are doing. The last program, folks, go back and listen to the last program. I let them have it by putting pickleball. Kyle, they put pickleball in the front of the tennis magazine. Come on. Let Kyle, you know, I mean, that. You know, we're not going to go there, but to me, pickleball is, I don't care how much fun it is for old people. It's like the miniature golf of, of tennis to me. You know, but anyhow, I'm I'm, I'm slamming it a little bit. I'm speaking out of turn, but but the point the point is is the USTA tries to gobble up everything around them. They're like got tentacles on everything, you know. And 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 I'm just disgusted with it. They're out there saying, "Oh, we're the governing body of all racket sports," but the top-down management does not inspire anyone. Just like points do not inspire anybody. You need, and, and the ITA pretty much has hijacked college tennis, and I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not speaking about people. I'm speaking about organizations. You know, all these great people we have had and great coaches and things over the years, and the ITA is swing, swings in as basically a uh, lobbyist group, and they put together programs and say, hey, we can do this for you. We can do that for By the way, you've got to do everything we want you to do, You've got to do this and you've got to do that, and by they, you know, but they basically are using coercive leadership as well. The way that they have now, they're forcing uh, the women to use this let cord rule. They're forcing no ad scoring into junior colleges. D three had a great D three coaches out there. If you listen, you guys had a great, great format. You didn't have to have referees, and you had. Basically, a great system where kids enjoyed playing the real game of tennis, not some abbreviated bastardization. I'm being a little bit intense here. But you didn't need referees. You know why you don't need referees? You didn't have no ad scoring. No ad scoring, people cheat because it's an eight-point swing. And regular scoring, Kyle, you will never cheat me when it is your game point. Now, you might, or you and I, I, you and I get heated. You might take one and one. It's my game point. <laughs> not really, <laughs> But the point I'm making is when it's an eight-point swing one way or the other, you know, it's like they're throwing daggers. Players are throwing daggers at each other now. So my point is this, and I'd like to ask you. we got ten minutes. I'm going to let you, you take the rest of it here. Coercive okay. leadership versus leadership by yeah. example. You yeah. are in charge of entire United States tennis, okay? <clears throat> and where, where am I wrong? And but at the point you don't have to do not. I, I've been in it so long. I don't. I don't. Those organizations that doesn't bother me, but they still. If they're smart, they'll try to hire you away and get you to do something. But the point is, we can do better. We're not inspiring people to tennis. We are trying to come out with bells and whistles, and we we got a lot of stuff out there, but we're not we're not teaching people the real core tennis. The his let me last statement. The history and the heritage of tennis is not protected. Go down to Lake Nona down there. You go down there, there's nothing about the history and the heritage of tennis. When you walk in, it ought to look like Dagon, Rhode Island, up there. You know, no, it ought to look like St. Andrew's Golf. It ought to look like Wimbledon. It ought to look 
you walk in, it ought to be two whole buildings full of, of history and heritage where people go, wow, I'm in the greatest thing. But you walk in, it's all corporate. You know, my friend has said it looked like the Death Star. You know, you walk in there and everything's corporate, and you got Ewoks and stormtroopers running around. Now, that's not by me, but I laughed till I cried because he said, I was down there, Coach, and the whole thing was sterile. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, okay, so go, go ahead if, if you got a few thoughts there. All right, so uh, I, the, I, the uh, I was pretty I'm graphic. Ahead of you I've got a. What do I? What am I going to do? That's the. You, that's you, the question, you've huh? got. Well, you've got one year to make any appointments you want. Wow. You're president of, of U.S. All tennis, right. and you can. You've got ultimate power. Um, yeah. How? What? Where do you start? Ooh. What do you do? Okay. Um, well, I think one of the first things I would do um, with, with both the USTA and the ICA is leverage the you know the top coaches, and I, and I don't mean necessarily. You know, maybe the ones that you know. I'm not talking about rankings. I'm most popular, about, not not the. Uh, not no, the, not even the most popular. The ones with the most experience and the most, the best track record. Um, you know, like really reaching out to the. You know, I mean, I hate to say it, but even putting, you know, guys like Lance or Nick Bolitary, right. um You know, the, the 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 people that that have been developing juniors, you know, from the ground up since day one back when, you know, American tennis was, was really, really strong and starting to ask them and getting those people somehow on board in whatever capacity you could possibly do it and figuring out, um, you know, what we need to do to help those kinds of people or identifying the next group of, of young coaches that are coming up that are like that. Um, and, and, you know, I just think that those guys – uh, you, you you can't put a price on the experience that they've they've got, you know, or guys like Vesa uh, down in College Park, you know, and I know that they those, these people are in partnerships with them, but trying to figure out because you know again I just think these guys they they just know so much about how to make players and um, so that would be one, and then also probably doing the same thing within the IPA, you know, you've got so many good college coaches, and I I think college tennis honestly has some of the best coaches in the world. Uh, I would agree. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, there, there are some really hardworking, intelligent guys who really have their stuff together. Um, and, you know, I just admire so many of these coaches, and I learned so much by being around them that I would really try to figure out what it is that they would, would think and what they want to do. And, and, you know, just having some more roundtable discussions and really getting into the weeds of what it is that needs to happen uh, and just kind of opening it up. And, you know, the problem with, with a lot of the guys that are really good at this is that they don't want to be involved in these committees and things like that because it, right. it takes away from their, their ability to do it. So you almost, you're going to have to incentivize it or, um, you know, somehow get them to where they feel like they can have some kind of an impact on it. So that would be one. I think the other one that I think the ITA is starting to do, which I actually don't think is a bad idea, is trying to put some more emphasis on some of these individual uh, tournaments. Um, you know, and putting the NCAA in the fall, I don't think that's a bad idea. I actually like it. Um, can't tell you how many times I've gone and watched that individual tournament, and you see half of these guys, they're just cooked by the end of the year um, after playing, you know, for five or six months in a row, and then going and playing the team event. So I, I think that's a good move. But uh, Hold your thoughts. Good John, let me jump in there real quick. Yeah. Real quick. Yeah. I, I, I've always said we should do team in the fall, individual 
in the spring, have four okay. Grand Slam yeah. tournaments, individuals. Yeah. Yeah. You could have clay yeah. courts, outdoor, indoor NCAAs, yeah. Yeah. and build a satellite circuit. In the spring, kids would springboard into the summer, okay? But you're exactly right. I'm yeah. glad if they're doing that. And sorry to interrupt going yeah. out there, Kyle. No, no, no. And I think that's, that's really good, too. And, and I think there, there is going to be some opportunity here, you know, coming up that, that we are going to need to maybe rethink some of those things and, I just, you know, I look at, I, I always look at golf. I was a golfer before I was a tennis player, and, you know, golf is crushing it uh, these days with the players that they have. Um, you know, golf is a huge springboard for, for pro, uh, for the pro tour. Um, you know, the, the, the in American golf is, is, is in a great spot and has been for, for many years, and, you know, they, they have a little bit different approach about doing more individual events and, but I, I, I think that would also be much easier, um, you know, for, for doing TV. I think the dual match is a, is a tough, tough thing to they, um, they're not. televise. I think uh, yeah, tennis, tennis is uh, yeah. tennis is an individual sport with team opportunities, and TV is not right. a team. It's great for individual yeah. sports. Okay, the golf yeah. thing is great. I think the golf, yep, what yeah. they've done, Kyle, is they've promoted the events more than the players. I think we got off board when we started making rock stars out of, try to make rock stars out of our players, and then the team, the sport has flipped around according to the personalities of the players more than honoring the sport itself. Hmm. That's just a thought. Okay. Any yeah. other quick, quick yeah. things there? We've got a couple minutes here. Um, I mean, that, you know, the other thing, um, you know, I think just, again, like making sure that, that, you know, that the competition and the things that we're doing from level to level are mirroring each other. I think that in the top level in junior tennis, I think having more more third sets, more more matches that mimic what we're actually yep. doing in college and then vice versa. Full matches, yeah. Yep. College stuff. Yeah, I think the college stuff, or maybe there's a, a best of five, or you know, I know we do it for, for some, you know, at the, at the, at the finals of Kalamazoo and and things like that. But the, I just think that would be, you know, kind of cool to yeah. add some of those little things in there that, that right, right. sort of show that that, that it's a, kind of a leap into the next level. Right. Good. I think. Um, so anyhow, let me let me finish up here real quick, Kyle. Um, what you're saying about the leveraging the input from the other top coaches, they don't do that. The USTA does not do that, nor does the ITA. And I want to reach out to you guys. <clears throat> Nobody hates you. You know, we don't need to call you stinky or anything like that. What we need to do is call upon you to call our great coaches and then pay attention. <clears throat> you know, um, again, use – Use the expertise around you, which are a lot of the great the great coaches that we have. Um, Kyle, still got you there? Okay, Kyle. Yep, yep I'm here. Yep. Got to yep, tell I'm last here. story here, and then I want your comments on this. When you were working with me at College Park, Vesa one time, Vesa Panka, who I believe is very very good coach and. A great, a greater, yeah. much greater man and a great leader. And, and USTA, you need to go get him and his all his ideas first. One day he called us out on Wednesday. It was a Wednesday. We used to have a little coaches meeting. He called us out on the front porch, and he gave us all an index card. And he said, yeah. I want you all to write down. Do you remember this exercise? He said, I, do. Yeah. I want you to all write down somebody's name other than uh, your parents or grandparents 
or no, just other than your parents who has had the most influence, who you respect more than anybody in, in your life, in your life. So then he went around and each asked each of the coaches, well, who was it? your high school coach? Well, why? And he did this, this. I remember I put down my Uncle Otto, my great Uncle Otto, who was a florist. He was a very gentle man. He was a florist, a chicken fancier, but the toughest little five-seven man I've ever seen. And I told everybody why, and then people said that. Now, then Vesta says, okay, here's what the lesson is today. He goes, all of you, 40 years from now, years from now, would your students that you're teaching now put your name down as one of these people? And it's sort of like a Jim Boykin moment that we're talking about, right, yep. Kyle? Yeah, yeah. You know, so, yep. um, you know, I'll give you the last word there as we, we got to sign off here in a minute. Um, no, you know, I mean, uh, I, I think it was John Wooden or somebody that, that said, you know, the, the true measure of your success is not when, you know, what, what you were able to do when these kids graduate college, but, you know, what, what kind of man they are when they're, you know, 45, 50 years old and have a family and a career. You know, that's what you're going to know if you did the job. Yeah. You were to, so that's it. Yep. Well, it's been six months since I had you on. Another six months, we're going to have you on at least by then. Uh, and, anytime. And thank, it's always a pleasure. Just look, thank you for what you're doing, and take care of that family. I heard in a, that, a great time in life for you right now, buddy. I thought the yeah. age is 40 yeah, to 55. You. You've got so much experience behind you. Go out and make it happen and keep giving to everybody, and daggone it. you got to stay in tennis. This is your uh, – this is your calling, man. Okay? You got it. You got it. Right. I'm not going anywhere. I... <laughs> Good All, right. All right. Well, listen, we, we got to go. God bless you, Kyle. Take care. America.